series called Move, and we're going to have a lot of fun with it. But before I begin, can we give it up for this band one more time? Come on, y'all. Hey, killing it today. Here's the deal, too. Today's message, sometimes you walk in, you're like, man, I hope this applies to me. I hope it's going to help me. I can promise you, this message has been customized just for you. So open up your ears, open up your heart, and say, all right, guys, speak to me today, because this one applies to all of us, I promise you. So here's my opening question for you. Have you ever been stuck before? And I'm talking about where you just can't move. You're kind of in a mess. For example, here's a picture. If you don't know what I'm talking about, like you ever been in this kind of situation? I don't know if you have ever been there. I have been. I'll tell you about it in a couple of minutes. But before I do, this is even worse when you get stuck like this. <laughs> I mean, this guy, man, he was trying to get out of it. It did not go so well. And I can remember a time we were trying to get out of a situation that we were stuck in. Back in the day, we had a band called Open Eyes. We traveled around and did music all across the South. We had a lot of fun. And this is the kind of truck that we used. This was the crew that actually went around with us. Uh, we played, we sang, we did all kind of outdoor events. We did indoor events. It was a lot of fun. But when you have a big truck like that and it's loaded down with equipment, occasionally you get into some soft ground. And this was at an event called Outback. And it was over at Camp Bethany. And if you look in the front tires right there, as Jeff Moore, our old friend, used to say, we got her stuck in the mud pretty good. And we could not move this truck. It was so funny because all of the people would just go like, what are y'all going to do? They even gathered around. Look at all the girls like, ooh, that's a mess, right? Because we could not get out. And if you look real close, you'll see pieces of lumber. This is an old picture. This is in the 90s. So we're talking about a long time ago. But the only way we could get out because we had to get pieces of wood and we had to push. We had to literally push ourselves out of the situation. Now you think we'd learn from it and be better, but we went to Chattanooga, Tennessee. Here's a picture from that. Here's the band again with some of the crew. And we were up in the snow. If you're looking for me and Greg and Daniel's in here somewhere, there he is. They're all on stage today. Alan plays a lot. He's in here. Chip and Todd are in here. They're just a lot of fun. And we would all travel around. We got up to Chattanooga. We're doing this big conference up there in the hills and it came a big snowstorm. And in the midst of that snowstorm, guess what happened? We got stuck again. And the only way we could get out of these situations is we had to push. So here's my question for you. How do you get moving today? How do we get us moving in the right direction to get something started in your life, to maybe even continue something in your life? I ran across this picture because we never took pictures back then of us actually trying to get out of the mess, but this is what it looked like. We were all involved in trying our best to move the situation forward. And here's the one thing that I know for sure I've experienced. When you get stuck, you need help. you got to have people to help you. Now, uh, just to kind of give you another illustration where it's not always about a car being stuck or a truck being stuck, sometimes you really need help when you're a kid like this, all right? Anybody remember them chairs that you had in school? These kids aren't the smartest, all right? I'm just telling you right now. I don't know what's going on, but there was obviously a group of people going, how are we going to get this kid out of the situation? I thought, well, he's a 
you know, a rare, a rare thing. That's pretty rare to get stuck in a chair. But no, I found more pictures. I'll just give you throw a few to give you examples. Go to the next picture, please. Look at this kid right here. Now, I don't know. He's probably got his hand in there, which is probably not a good idea. So if you're a teacher, thank you. God bless you. If you work in a school system, give him a little round of applause, all right? Why? Because this is what they're dealing with. Look, there's another kid. We even blurred his face out because his mama said, no, -uh, don't show him out there, all right? So what some of you may be thinking is like, well, how in the world could you get in these situations? Well, if we all evaluate our lives, we've all been stuck in many different areas of our life. Hopefully, hopefully, not in a chair like that, but maybe it's a personal stuck. You know, weight loss, finances, career, addiction. You can go through so many things. Relational stuff. You got a spouse situation, marriage, kids, parenting, friends. You can go through all kinds of situations that you can get stuck in. But you can also be stuck when it comes to spiritual things. Your time with God, trusting God, or even serving God. You're like, man, I just don't know what I can do to move forward. And you go, well, what do you mean when you say stuck? This is what I thought. Wrote it down so you kind of grab a hold of this concept. Stuck, for me is when you're caught between the way things are and the way they should be. You go, man, I know where they are. You know, I know where we're, you know, currently residing, and I need to be over here. And that, like I said, can be relational. could be spiritual. It could be in a lot of different. It could be personal. And here's our problem in America particularly. When it comes to situations that you're stuck, we have a typical strategy, and it looks a little something like this. We have a tendency to think about it, talk about it, plan on it, and dream about it. It's like, hey, we're going to just, I'm thinking about what I need to do to get out of this situation, or how I'm going to lose weight, or how I'm going to grow with God, or how I'm going to improve my marriage, or help be a parent. Then we talk about it with friends, everybody gathers up, I don't know, what are you doing? What did you say? What are you thinking about? Then we have a plan. Sometimes we even get together, like, this is my plan, this is what I'm going to do. And then some of us just get stuck literally going, I'm dreaming about something different. I want it to be different. And if you're a church folk, you know what you do? I'm really praying about it. So you go through all these things, but then you add in there, what are you doing if you're stuck in any circumstance or situation? Well, I'm just praying about it. I know I really need to do this or that, but, and we don't do anything. So I ran across this quote, and I've brought it to the message today because it is a perfect example for everyone in here. As you're evaluating, where am I stuck? What area of my life do I need to be making a move in? What is an area, whether it's financial, it could be personal, it could be relational, it could be spiritual. And here is what the quote says. There are moments in life when it takes more than words, more than insight, and more than desire for things to change. It takes, what's that last word? You got to do something. You have to move. And this is the problem. Many times we just don't do it. And then we get stuck and we can even be in danger. And I ran across an unbelievable group of clips of people that did not move quick enough or they got into a situation where they were stuck. And the only way that they could get out of this was people rallied around them and helped them. And when I show you these news clips, it blew my mind. I could not believe this actually happened because we don't really live in this kind of culture. But I think you will see very clearly the importance of having people around you to also help you, to push you, to help you take that action. Watch. Yes, a 70-year-old woman's foot got stuck between the train and the platform. Amazingly, she walked away unhurt. Oh. And a similar thing happened last year in Australia where commuters helped tilt a train 
to rescue a man who had become stuck in the gap. It was during the deluge Thursday when Virginia said a prayer for help and the Marines showed up 45 seconds later. We figured it'd be a good idea to just lend a helping hand and uh, help out our fellow Americans. If anybody is able to help them, it's going to be us. You see the woman tumble off the bike, but the driver is trapped beneath the vehicle. Within seconds, total strangers spring into action. One, two, three, four, five, and the number keeps growing. Look at the Good Samaritans who rush over to help. 20 people. While everyone is giving it the heave ho, you see the victim getting pulled to safety. All these people just started coming from everywhere. You know, a couple people here, a couple people from there, somebody from the gym over here, a bunch of people from here. People were stopping their cars. Everybody just wanted to help. Come on, y'all, give them a little round of applause for getting involved. Most of the time we're like, I ain't getting involved in that. Now, why do I show you these clips? Because I think about the church. I think about you and your life. I think about the journey we've been on for 16 years. When you get yourself in a situation where you really do need help, there's something powerful when all of these people gather and rally together, and it literally can save your life. It can have a lasting impact, not only on the person that is stuck, but also on all the people that were involved in that, because you realize, I made a difference today. I helped. I was a part of something bigger than myself. Well, today is a day that, as a pastor, as a friend, as a, you as a part of Simple Church, I'm going to push you a little bit. My goal is to nudge you in the right direction. And if you don't listen, I'm going to come out there and push you hard. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to be all right. Just want you to begin to go, all right, I need to move. John 5, 8, one of the really, really powerful passages. And this is the young man who had been sick, sitting by the pool, waiting for the miracle to happen in his life. And Jesus comes up and he says, listen, I know you've been praying. I know you've been thinking. I know you've been hoping. You have a dream. You have all this other stuff going on. But Jesus said to him, get up. It's time to pick up your mat and walk. Some of you want to be closer to God, you want to serve God, you want to really have a better quiet time, you want a better marriage, you want a better friendship, all of these different things, but you're stuck. And today is the push. I can remember a time in my life, probably the most significant time in my life where I felt like I was stuck, was right before we launched the Simple Church. It wasn't in a big rider truck with all of our equipment, it was a life stuck. I wanted to do something big for God. I felt like God was asking me to do something. And I didn't have the plan. And then miraculously, I began to see other churches and other you know, groups of people that were doing some cool stuff. So I kind of began to develop a plan. Then I would talk about it. And I'm like, man, it'd be awesome if we could launch a church that was a little bit different. And it would look like this. And people, oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. You going to do it? I'm like, no, I just think it's cool if we, you know. Think about it. I mean, it'd be awesome. One day, I'm, I'm praying about it. I, I mean, I hope it can happen. And as I thought about it and prayed about it, I never did anything. And I was in a life group with some guys, and a Bible study came out by Erwin McManus called Chasing Daylight. And the whole idea of if you're looking for a great book to read, if you're in the middle of trying to make a decision, should you do something or should you not, and how do you know if God's in it, there's so many great points and illustrations in this book. But the whole premise was we only have so much daylight and you can pray and you can pray and you can ask and you can wait, but eventually you're going to have to move. Eventually you're going to have to take a step. And when you take the step, that action 
actually has potential to bring big change. You're in this room because eventually I got enough strength up. I'm scared to death to go, all right, God, this is my chance. I guess I need to move. And I was scared. Many of you, the reason you're not moving is because you're paralyzed by fear. I can relate. And you're thinking, well, I don't know if I don't ever happen. I just don't know. And I, I think I want to do this and maybe I should do this. But you don't move. You don't take any action. So today, maybe, just maybe, is the push that you need to go, this is it. Could be launching a business. It could be seeing that girl over there and go, I'm asking her out today, okay? It could be that you're going to put your kid in a different school. It could be so many different things. It could be that you're finally going to ask what it really takes to volunteer to get involved. Because you've been sitting in the dark and you're thinking, well, I want to, but I'm scared. I don't think they can use me. I don't really know what's going on and I don't know if I can really make a difference. I get it. But when you look back at scripture, you're going to be blown away to look at a lot of different people that felt like you did. See, Noah eventually had to build the ark. He couldn't just pray about it and think about it. He had to do it. Moses eventually had to, even with all his insecurities and his fears, had to go and talk to Pharaoh. You can't just pray about it. I'm just praying about it. I'm praying. And God was like, no, you need to move. David had to pick up the sling. If you go look at all these illustrations, to face the giant, he, all his fear and everything. Truthfully, David was like, man, I'm, I don't know if God's with me. I'm going for it. But he had to pick up the sling and he had to throw the rock, right? And Peter had to step out of the boat. In all of those circumstances, whether it was Noah, you know there was fear of what are people going to think about me? Moses, oh my gosh, I'm going to Pharaoh. How am I going to do it? David facing the giant. Peter stepping out onto the water to walk on the water. And it's pretty interesting that I bring up Peter right now because we're getting close to Easter. And I want to remind you of where his faith journey really began. When you see Matthew 14, when you see this and he says, Jesus said, hey, Peter, come to me. And what did Peter do? He moved. He left the boat and walked on the water. What if he didn't leave the boat? What if he said, hey, Jesus, I'm praying about it. Hey, Jesus, I'm thinking about it. Hey, Jesus, I'm trying to calculate how this water is going to hold me. What if he pulled all the disciples and said, hey, guys, let's gather around. You think I should go? I'm not sure if I should go. Do y'all think I should do this or not? No, man, when he heard the call, dude, he went for it. And great accomplishments in your life and in my life, in the disciples' lives, in great biblical characters, equal movement. If you don't move, you don't accomplish great things. But I know all you, because you're just like me. I can't do anything great, Justin. I mean, it's great that you lost the church. I mean, by the way, you're watching online, you're in here because of that move 16 years ago. And it wasn't just me. There was a lot of people that moved. Thank you. For all those who went with us on the move, who helped push me along, who we all pushed each other to get here, thank you, thank you, thank you. But I'm going to tell you something. You don't accomplish anything great without having a little movement, without pushing yourselves. And you look back at Peter and you think about, I can't do anything great, I can't do anything great. Well, that's the same thing Peter thought. And if you don't know anything about Peter... Here's just a little insight into who Peter really was. He was a hot-tempered, used bad language, and cursed people out. That is Justin right there. Look at there. <laughs> Hagler, Hagler trait. And you go, well, what do you mean? I'll give you some scripture. John 18, 10. Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of the servant. Do you remember this? Talking about Easter? 
They got Jesus, they're putting him in, he's going to the cross, and Peter said, not on my watch, whoa! And did Jesus go, way to go, bro, eye for an eye. No, he's like, come on, Peter. Picks the guy's ear up, I mean, can you imagine this? Puts it back and heals him instantly. And then later on, right, he's with Jesus, he's walked on water, he's had all this faith, he's the man, I'm in. Then Jesus, now going to the cross to be crucified, all the people are going, hey, man, aren't you with him? Aren't you with him? And look, what, here's what happened, Matthew 26. Peter began to curse and swear, I don't know that man. And in spite of all of those shortcomings, God used him. So when you have a hot-tempered husband, you're like, no way God can use him. Be careful. You cuss too much, you're like, ain't no way he can use me. Be careful. I cuss too much. Pray for me. But unless seriously... Look at back at what Jesus did with Peter. Matthew 16, 18 in the message translation. You are Peter, a rock. Isn't that interesting, a rock? <laughs> this is the guy who's hot-tempered, cussing everybody out, used bad language. I mean, he's off the chains. Hey, Peter, you know what I see in you? You are the rock, son. You're the one that this whole church will be put together on. A church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. He's like, Peter, you're the starting point. You're the one. And that's not all, Peter. You'll have complete and free. Next slide, please. You'll have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door and no more barriers between heaven and earth. He's like, hey, Peter, you're so awesome. And this is the thing. We look at people, man, he's a cusser, he's hot-tempered. Ain't no way God can use him. He's like, just hang and see. And here we are, thousands of years later, and you're sitting in a church that was founded on Peter the Rock. And thousands of years later, there would be statues put up to remember this guy named Peter who was a cusser, who was hot-tempered. And a few years ago, I guess it's been now, shoot, it's almost 20 years ago, me and Angie went to the Vatican over in Italy. And I saw this statue, and it is a statue of Peter. <laughs> he is so respected and so revered that they wore the guy's foot off, man. This is a bronze statue that everybody comes up and loves on, rubs on, like, hey, this is Peter, man. This is the rock. This is who the church is founded on. I'm like, dude, man, rub the dude's foot off, son. If you'd have told Peter, hey, Peter, one day there's going to be a statue in this huge church, and it's going to be so special and mean so much that they're going to rub your foot off, cuz. He'd be like, hey, no, not me. you got to be crazy. And here's the thing I want to remind you, and Peter's a great example of. God doesn't just use people that have it all together. I probably just could have even simpler. He like, more than likely, he doesn't use people that have it all together. So if you have it all together, he's, you're probably not a good candidate. And you go, well, Justin, that's a pretty bold statement. Well, let me give you some biblical history. Let's go quickly. Rahab was a prostitute. He used her. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Noah got drunk. Jonah ran from God. Gideon was insecure. Miriam was a gossip. Marrier, Mary, excuse me, was a warrior. Not a warrior, a warrior. Jeremiah was a whiner. Thomas was a doubter. Sarah was impatient. Elijah was moody. Zacchaeus was short. <laughs> Abraham was old. And you know what? Lazarus was dead. 
but I can hear you already. You're already just murmuring in your own head. Yeah, Justin, I hear you. Those are all cool stories, and they're true. I mean, I guess. I mean, I kind of believe it. I don't know. I'm just working through it. But he can't use me until I get my life right. And when I learn more, when I study more, when I have more time, I'm at a busy point in my life. Then I'm going to volunteer, and then I'm going to be ready. I'm just telling you, I just don't know. I got a picture for you if you're thinking that. This is the picture. Are you ready? Baloney. Oscar Meyer on you. Because I'm telling you, he can use you. He wants to use you. And you doubt yourself. You don't believe in yourself. You think there's no way God can use you. And I am telling you, as sure as I'm standing here, anybody who grew up with me or my brother, for that fact, and they go, there are ministers? No, man, uh uh-uh. And you're thinking, I'm not wanting to be a minister. No, I'm talking about just getting involved in serving. Anybody who knew my wife back in high school, I'll see them. They're like, you're married to Angela Howard? Woo. And I'm like, hey, man, go easy on my wife while I punch you in your throat. Remember, I'm angry. And Angie goes, no, you didn't know me, dude. I'm telling you, people can't believe it. And you second-guess God, you second-guess your past. You think that everybody has to have everything together, and they're always just perfect. I'm telling you, man, it's not true. I just gave you a long list. And that's just a glimpse. So here's my message to you, and it's not my message. It's really God's message. Whatever's holding you back, it has not disqualified you from being used by God. Yeah, but you don't understand. I did this. I did that. You, I, don't, I mean, you just don't know my sin. You don't know how bad I am. You don't know how I messed up. No, I do know God, though. And shall I remind you, Romans 8, 1, of what he says? There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you surrender your life to Christ, it is not like, okay, everything's going to be perfect. I've got everything together now. Now I'm going to not mess up. I'm never going to sin again. I'm just going to be a servant for the Lord. And every- No, man, the truth is we're all sinners. You will battle until the day he calls you home. But what you forget and what you really don't grab a hold of is that he doesn't condemn you. He wants to use you. So quit overanalyzing. Quit beating yourself up. And let's be honest, we have enough people against us, don't we? You beat yourself up. Anybody says anything negative about about you, you spiral down into depression. and You want everybody to like you. And when they don't, it makes you mad and frustrated. I don't know what's going on. And oh my gosh. And just stop because I got good news. You go, what do you mean? That's in Romans 8, 31. If God is for us, no one can stand against us. And guess what? And God is with us. God is with you. He has a plan for you. He wants to use you. Even your mistakes, even your past does not disqualify you from being used by God. And I don't know if anybody's told you lately, but there's something very special about you. There's something very unique about you. And let me go ahead and just say this. Many of you aren't even using it. You may be great at teaching the Bible, but you don't really teach anybody. Too busy. God can't use me. I'll do that one day when I get to this. Okay. Thank you. And meanwhile, people who are hungry and need that, you're not going to provide it. You got other things to do. More important. Got to take that nap. Other of you have 
skills to build things, to use your hands. And God wants to use you. And we go, hey, man, we need to build this. And we're like, oh, I can't do that right now. I got other projects I got to do. Others of you are great with kids, man. They're just, you're a kid magnet. And you come in here and you sit in here and you're like, well, I mean, listen, I'm wore out. I just don't think I can do that anymore. You just don't. I did that all my life. I don't, okay. And then some of you go, I just don't have anything. I just don't really know what I'm good at. I don't know if I can really be used. I don't really know. And you second guess yourself because of either things people have said about you or things you say about yourself. Please remember this next verse, Ephesians 2.10. We are God's, what's this word? What's a masterpiece? It's a one of a kind. And what makes it a masterpiece is the beauty of the piece and the person who creates it. If it's a Michelangelo, I've been to Italy been 20 years ago, but I did stand there looking at all this stuff and going, holy cow. And how it was so unique and special and then signed by the artist. And it gave it value and worth. And there's guards standing around stuff and there's glass and there's dividers. I mean, just recently we went over and saw some unbelievable art up in New York. Went to the Modern Museum of Art. We were looking at all these different paintings. I mean, it's unbelievable. And you're going, man, look at that. That's a masterpiece. And God himself, Jesus says, that's the way I look at you. Created in Christ Jesus so you can do the good things. Action. Not to just go, well, I'm a masterpiece. I'll sit back. Y'all look at me. No, it's, his is different. Because he's planned for you to do some great things, some amazing things. So quit focusing on what you're not. But I'm not this. I'm just not that. Start focusing on what God says you are. And remember this. He calls you a masterpiece, uniquely gifted, talented, special. And he wants to use you. And remember, that's what I love about God. He chooses differently. <laughs> You go, what do you mean he chooses differently? Just look at the disciples. All you have to do is look at their lives and look at the way they were and what was going on. They didn't have it together. They were the outlaws. They were the outcast. They were the ones that nobody thought would ever be used for anything. And God says, that's who I choose. 1 Corinthians 1, 27. God chose the things of this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. That's why a lot of times when I look at my life and I think, I learned a lot of people going, there's no way that guy will be successful. And then when you see that God has used us, and I'm super, super grateful, I think of myself as a foolish dude. I'm like, man, I get it, and I am so thankful. I am so thankful. Because so many times people tell you, you're not going to be successful, you'll never make it, it's not going to work, the method won't work, who you are, I mean, come on, man, you're, you, come on, you ain't a pastor? You stupid. You foolish, man, you're crazy. And all of a sudden he's like, no, I'm going to, Trying to do something with you. And here's the thing. What do you think about in your life? You think it's just for pe people like our pastors? Me and a pastor will know I'm telling you. He wants to use you even though you think it's impossible. It'd be foolish. He said, that's what I like to use. He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Do you feel powerless? You feel like, man, I don't have a whole lot of things to offer. I mean, I don't know what I can do. And he's like, no, that's who I'm looking for. Because your imperfections can be used by God 
You ready for this? To take you further than you ever thought was possible. We go, what do you mean? Well, I'm a horrible golfer. Not as bad as Brian Reed, but I'm really, really bad. And the one thing that never made sense to me on a golf ball, I don't know if you've ever seen a golf ball, but I always question like a ball seems like it would go faster and further if it was smooth. But what they tell you is, is all of these imperfections, all those dimples actually help it to go further than if it was a perfectly smooth ball. Now, don't take my word for it. Take the golf channel. Watch. What makes the golf ball so unique is not just its small shape, but hundreds of small impressions or dimples on its surface. Steve Quintavala is an engineer in the Equipment Standards Department at the United States Golf Association. He says dimples are crucial to a golf ball's flight. A golf ball has dimples to reduce wind resistance or aerodynamic drag. When you reduce it, you can make golf balls go a lot farther. See, not as stupid as I look, kinesiology major. Really, that's a big word for PE coach, don't forget. But you go, well, what does that have to do with me? Well, all of your little dimples, all of your little imperfections, God says, I'm using those things to take you further than you ever thought was possible. Just trust me. Well, you're like, come on, Justin, 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My power, God's power, shows up best in what? Weak people. So when you go, man, I'm just not strong enough. I just don't know if I'm going to do it. Paul goes on to say, I'm glad to be living a be a living demonstration of Christ's power. Because like in my weakness is when he's really known. Instead of showing off my power and my abilities, he's showing off God's power and abilities. And if you're to evaluate where you are right now, many of you are stuck because you don't believe this. I'm too weak. I'm not good enough. I don't really know how I could be used. What value do I really have? I'm too old. I'm not smart enough. I don't know the Bible enough. I didn't grow up in church. How can God really use me? You're in the perfect place today. You happen to be listening to the perfect message designed just for you, even for those watching online. Because you're stuck and you need a push today. And remember this, and this is true for all of us. You know this to be true. Movement equals life. When you stop moving, it's over, cuz. And the older we get, the harder it is to move. Can I get an amen? And what I am trying to tell you is, you, many of you, haven't moved spiritually in a long time, and that's why it feels dead and empty. It's because you're like, I just don't seem like there's nothing. I, yeah, but you're not doing anything. Faith without works is dead. And so my whole goal of today is to go, look, I want to have this faith and I need to have this. And it's good to come in here. And let me give a lot of you a lot of credit right now. You got up and moved out of bed today. That was a big deal. You knew something was inside of you that made you go, I got to move. I, I got to do something today. And you made it. For some of you, it was just turning on the TV. You're turning on your computer. You're watching your phone. And that is a big deal. Any movement at all is good movement. But the goal is, is for you to continue to move and to be pushed further than you think is possible. And when you do, 
you will live at a level that you never thought was possible. Because God created a masterpiece in you, created to do good things way before you ever even knew your purpose. He had a purpose for you. And the older you get, the less you move, sometimes it's harder and harder to do that. But it's not impossible. And I'm going to prove it. When you think, man, I'm just too old to do this. I just don't know if really God could use me in the church or I don't know if God can use me, period. I just feel like I'm, ugh. I'm finna blow your mind right here. Because when I saw this, I was like, holy cow, Justin, quit your whining. Here it is. Why movement equals life? Here's the proof. Watch. Here at the Texas Express pole vaulting gym near Dallas, just about every kid jumps to the same conclusion. First time they see 82-year-old Don Ison walk in the door. And I thought, oh, maybe he's like someone's grandfather or something. And then I was like, oh, wait a minute. Which soon leads to the second universal reaction. Wow, is he okay? <laughs> I thought. What he does is absolutely insane. Don Isett is the nation's top pole vaulter in his age group. National champion. And pretty much the only pole vaulter in his age group. I've got buckets of buckets of He picked up the sport for a second time at age 66. This is when you started? Five decades after an unremarkable high school career. So you weren't even that good to begin with. Right. So at 66, you say, I want to relive this. Yeah. Mediocrity. I'll try this again. <laughs> Why? It's fun. It's like going to high school again with nothing to study. <laughs> <laughs> nothing to study but the physics of gravitational potential energy oh. and pain management. That's a jump right there. But Don says it's well worth the aches. It's a rush, exhilaration when you clear a bar. At a meet last year, Don cleared nine feet, one inch. No octogenarian had ever done such a thing. And then, just moments later, set another record. Oldest man to be a human centrifuge. And Don says he's not done setting records. In fact, he told me he plans to keep fit and keep at this until he's six feet under, which by my calculation is still about 15 feet away. Steve Hartman, On the Road, in Princeton, Texas. Some of y'all are like, I can't even get out of this chair. I was, I'm looking at it, I'm like, listen, man, we all got excuses. We all think, oh, I don't know what's going on. I just saw this, and I'm like, how cool? You talking about movement? You talking about going for it at 80-something years old? I'm like, man. And my boy wore spandex. Say something, son. <laughs> He's like, hey, man, I'm here, baby. I'm ready to roll. No excuses imperfections and all, God wants to use it. He uses him, he wants to use you, he wants to use all of us. And I got one more because many of you right now are going, okay, that's extreme. I mean, okay, I get it. Well, I'm, I'm going next level extreme. And the reason I want to go next level extreme is because many of you really do doubt yourself. You, you're going, how can God use me? I mean, you just don't know, Justin, I'm not good at this, or I, I, I'm just weak. I, I have so many imperfections. I just don't know how he can really use me. This next story blew my mind. That one was pretty crazy, but this next one is next level crazy. 
And listen close to what the young man says, because when you're sitting out today and you're going, I just don't think I can do that. I'm just not sure I can do that. Let this young man inspire us all to be used by God. Watch. Technically, 13-year-old Josiah Johnson of Louisville, Kentucky, has a disability. Hi, Zaire. But almost no one sees it because Josiah doesn't see it. Although born without legs, the kid has yet to find his kryptonite. Always did everything the other kids did. But that invincibility was put to the test last fall when Josiah decided to try out for the one sport where altitude is everything, the Moore Middle School basketball team. At this point, you may be wondering, why didn't he just join a wheelchair basketball team? It would certainly be a lot easier. Well, Josiah says, exactly. It was easy. It was too easy. You wanted more of a challenge? Yeah. The gumption it takes to be able to say, I'm going to go out and do that. Who has that kind of confidence? Me. <laughs> <laughs> but as Mother Whitney says, it's not just confidence. It's stubbornness. Josiah is very competitive. And if he feels like something is too easy, he's not going to do it. Still, Josiah knew making the team was a long shot. Fortunately, though, Josiah turned out to be pretty good at long shots. He made the team on his merits. And over the last few months has become a real contributor, getting offensive rebounds, assists, and because of his unique position on the floor, he has caused more than a few turnovers. He started taking the ball from people. He took the ball from me. I was mad. You would have thought Steph Curry was in the gym. But his teammates say his best play was a couple weeks ago. It was just a moment that I'm going to remember for like ever. It was the end of the game, seconds remaining. Josiah shoots from three. And again, his disability disappeared. What do you want people to take away from this? To do something that they thought they couldn't do. Josiah Johnson inspiration and proof that all you need to stand above is confidence. Come on, y'all. How cool is that? So here it is. You ready? Why don't you do something you didn't think you could do? For many of you, it'll be just coming back tonight. We need volunteers. I need you to partner with us, you know, so that we can party with the peeps and get ready for Easter. Five o'clock, you come back, we'll assign you a role, we'll teach you, we'll train you. You're going to be ready to go. And here's the thing, you already got excuses in your head. Well, I was going to go to the air show. <laughs> well, I heard the basketball game's coming on. Okay. This was your push. That's okay. If you don't want to do it, that's all good. You only got the rest of your life, maybe. And you have your excuses, and I am telling you that you're not here by accident. You're not watching by accident. This is your opportunity to move. And today, hopefully, was a strong push to get you to see your value and your worth. If that old man right there and that young man right there can teach us anything, it's like you need to be trying to do something. You got to move. Some of, you, some of the rest of you, another move you might want to make is inviting somebody to Easter. Because maybe that move changes their life. Every year at Easter, 
People get invited, they come for the first time, they're going through a hard time, and God does something in their life that changes everything in their life. And not in some weird way, not in some overbearing way, but you go, hey man, I'd love for you to come. I think we're going to have a good time, we're going to have some fun, I think it's a great time for your family. Somebody going through, whether it's a loss of a loved one, or a divorce, or whatever it may be, invite them. And you go, well, why? Because that one move of that invite might just change everything for them, including eternity. I remind you, over 4,000 people have been baptized in the Simple Church in its history. And that happened one person at a time and one story at a time. And they made the move because someone invited them, someone reached out to them, someone served them, gave them a coffee, a donut, took care of their child, greeted them in the parking lot, greeted them at the back door. They had a place to sit down because someone set it up. They had stuff to watch because someone set it up. Someone tore it down. And here's the thing. Y'all think, well, that's glad somebody's doing that. I'm telling you. You go, can you use all of us? Yes. Because there will be thousands and thousands and thousands of people come on Easter. Happens every year. I'll give you a little answer to a trivia question that I'm going to give tonight. You know how many people have come in the history of Simple Church over the 16 years at Easter? Over 75,000 people have walked through our doors on Easter. Just think about that. 75. I can tell you, there's a lot of great churches in this area. There's a lot of people doing some awesome things. But I dare to say there ain't nobody seen 75,000 people come through their doors in the last 16 years. And so whether it's 4,000, 6,000, or 8,000 this year, somebody's got to serve them. Somebody's got to help them. And this is the call. I'm pushing you. I'm asking you to get involved. Yeah, you get a free t-shirt. It looks pretty cool, but it's way bigger than the t-shirt. It could be that you find your purpose, your value, and you go, all right, God, use me. Use me. And when you feel that you're being used by God, there's something special about that, and I don't want you to miss it. Would you pray with me? Father, right now, everybody's trying to decide, you know, is this message really for me? And I pray that you would reveal to them the truth. It is. It's for all of us. There's all kind of gifts, talents, abilities in this room, and many are stuck. They haven't moved. And we realize when we look at Scripture that you used a lot of imperfect people. Matter of fact, that's all you use. And when we're trying to, well, when I get this right or when I have more time, the truth is it just starts now. And I pray that today would be the push to get them moving. They may feel stuck, but they can move. And Lord, that you would speak to them now. And number one, if someone has never, ever given their life to you, that would be a day like today. They've been doing it their own way and they're stuck in the mud and stuck in their sin. And you came so that we can have life and life to the fullest. You came, died on the cross, shed your blood, overcame the grave. That's what we'll celebrate in just a few weeks. Why? So that we could have life now and life forever. If someone's never received that free gift, I pray the day they'd say, man, I need it. I need hope. I'm stuck and I need to take that step of faith and I'm going to place my faith in you, Jesus. And you promised to meet them right there. Many of us prayed that prayer before and we've even followed through in baptism, but some people are still on the fence. They're like, hey, I prayed that prayer. I know I've asked Christ my life, but I never got baptized. I pray this Easter, they'd say, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to sign up online. I'm going to make the move. I'm going to be pushed, nudged to make my faith public. Because you told us to, Jesus. You called us to. You commanded us to. You encouraged us to. You yourself did it. And then beyond that, Lord, you also told us that we were put on this planet to serve you. 
not to be a taker, not to church shop and look for the perfect one that I can take stuff for and I really like the sermon and the music. No, you put us here that we would be used by you to find our gifts and our talents to increase the body, to serve the body. And when we don't do it, Lord, it's not quite as good. And it's true, just like this young man right here, we can function and we can get things done, but boy, when we all come together and we all serve together, something big and something miraculous happens through a bunch of imperfect people. So help us, Father, to take the step to move, to come tonight, to be a part of what you're doing. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you that you choose to use imperfect people. Thank you for that grace and for that mercy. And help us as we follow you now that we would see really what you meant when you said you've come to give life and life to the fullest. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen. Can I get an amen out there? <laughs>